go into syndications. And then the money that we were making from that allowed us to live free. And this is what we teach people how to do is how to change the way that you consider and look at your cash flow to make your income the most efficient it can possibly be. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson here with the one, the only. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm excited because we're about to do our next in-person. And for a remote team, it's nice to be able to see everyone on a regular basis every quarter, at least. It feels like I just saw you guys, but a whole three months has gone by. But it's nice. We're in a bond. We got this beautiful... I just looked at the Airbnb listing. Beautiful house with the... I don't even know, the foosball tables and ping pong and the big theater room and all the things. Jacuzzi I saw. So I guess I'm going to have to bring my suit so we can hop in there one of those nights. But yeah, just excited to get together with everyone and talk about our vision for next year. We do so much planning and it's funny. I don't know that everyone really grasps sort of how much really goes on behind the scenes and running a business. And so everyone gets to see the outcomes, which are things like the podcast or our Good Egg Lives or all the different things that we do. But behind the scenes, there's so many meetings and in-persons and discussions, Slack messages going back and forth, all in an effort to provide an amazing service to our clients, our investors, and to our folks on our team as well. But I'm excited about it um, because I think we've got a juicy presentation that we've been working on to talk about our three-year vision. So yeah. Yeah. And the hot tub, that's where the best ideas come, honestly. There you go. <laughs> it reminds me of back in the old days, five years ago, almost now, where it was just the two of us and we would meet up at a cafe in San Francisco. And all of this was a dream back then. All of this lived on little post-it notes that we stuck up on the wall. And we were like, someday we're going to hire this person. Someday we're going to be able to do this type of deal. Someday we're going to have this many investors. And here we are and so many of those wow. dreams and that vision has been realized but we are not done yet we're just getting started and the the vision that we've been working so hard on for all of our listeners we're excited to as we hammer this out to roll it out to all of you as well because we don't want you to just be just tell you as it happens we want you to anticipate and be part of the growth with us and so we're excited to share that vision with all of you here in the coming week and months. Well, with that, let's transition and talk a little bit about our guest today. Speaking of big vision, this guy's got it as well. Adam Carroll, he's an author, he's a podcaster, he's a blogger, and most recently, he's the founder of The Shred Method. And Adam has such a fascinating background because he's one of those rare unicorns that actually likes to speak on stage. (laughs) And he likes to be in front of the camera. He loves to tell stories and his passion over the years has become helping people to free themselves of debt and to optimize their money and to build wealth, which is so much in line with what we're passionate about as well. But he talks in this episode, he talks about not only his story, but also the money lessons he's teaching his kids and also all the ins and outs of the shred method and what that actually is. 
It was fun to talk with him. I love talking about kids and money. We, I feel like any chance I get to talk about kids and money on the show is fun for me. I think one of the things that we we touched on that I think is just so critical is, and we've talked about it on the show before too, is involving kids in the money conversation. There's not age that's too young, in my opinion. I remember I still have a picture of teaching my kids about syndication and what it is and how it works when I think my youngest son, when my son, my youngest child was probably three, I think at the time. And it's never too early to just start putting it out there in stick figures and small numbers and get them to just open up the conversation because kids naturally have a curiosity, which he talked about with older kids as he was teaching in the college circuit and high school circuit. He was getting questions from them about, look, like I've got two grand from my grandma or whoever, what do I do with this money? I have no idea. And the fact that they were even asking the question, I think is so telling of the fact that kids naturally have this curiosity. And if we don't give them answers to it, then they're going to go and do whatever they think is best, which who doesn't want to spend $2,000 on the new, a new bike or, you know, the latest video game or whatever. And so it's not necessarily their fault. And so it was interesting. We talked a lot about it throughout the show, sort of kids and money and sort of how, how to handle that. So, yeah. Indeed. And as part of the shred method, he laid out this sort of framework. So for all of our listeners, no matter where you are on your wealth journey, whether you're accredited or you're not yet accredited, the shred method, he basically laid out the framework. There's much more in the actual method itself, but the framework he laid out was a simple three steps. One is focus in the first few years on paying off your debts and really crushing your debt. And then second, then once you've freed up some of that cash flow, eliminated some of that interest, then you go into infinite banking where you build up this store of money. And then finally, then you then take that and invest in things like real estate syndications to maximize your wealth creation. And so if you're somewhere on that path and you're getting close, especially if you're getting close to that point where you're an accredited investor and you're looking to maybe start investing in real estate syndications, but you're not sure where to start, got a great resource for you. It's our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we'll go over all of the insights and the ins and outs of what it means to invest in a real estate syndication so you can determine whether it's the right path for you and your investing goals. To get your free copy, just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Adam Carroll. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you? I am wonderful, Annie. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Good to see you. It is such a treat to have you here. Now, Adam, we've known each other for quite some time now, and I got to say, it's such an inspiration to watch you speak on stages all over the world and grow your business to make such an impact with so many families and business owners and helping them optimize their money, eliminate debt, and build wealth. Now, I know that one thing that you talk about is the conventional path that most of us are taught, right? Go to college, 
get a good job, save for retirement and so on. And most people live their entire lives and never discover that there are other and arguably better ways to build wealth. So before we get into all that you're doing these days to help people through the shred method and all that you're doing, I want you to start by telling us a little bit about your own path. Mm -hmm. I want to know specifically, did you start out on the conventional path? And if so, how did you discover that there was another option behind the proverbial curtain, so to speak? Ooh, this is such a good question. I did start out the path, the prescribed path. And I would say that I went to school not knowing what I wanted to do with the degree that I that I obtained, which is probably 85 or 90% of us out there who go to school. And at some level, you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to choose a major and go with it. My degree actually is in broadcasting. So I thought I was going to be in front of the camera, which is wild today because I do a fair amount of media stuff. But what I really loved was storytelling. I think that's what drew me to broadcasting was being able to tell a story through audio or video. I love all things having to do with cameras, photography, all of it. I'm just kind of enamored with that idea. So you're a rarity. You're like a unicorn. Most people would would not touch that with a 10-foot pole, but you're like, get me in front of the camera. (laughs) Well, it's crazy too. I'm guilty. I was one of those that was like, oh, I hate the sound of my voice and I don't want to see myself on camera. I still don't love it, but I do think I'm a pretty good storyteller and I enjoy that aspect of this medium. So I did the traditional route. I went to school. I, I got a a job, a job, and not knowing what I wanted to do. I got a job in marketing. I was selling radio advertising, which was media related. I sold direct mail advertising. I knew that I had these chops for marketing, but I didn't really know how to leverage it. And marketing was my minor candidly in school, but I didn't know that it was marketable, pun intended. And then I got out and realized, oh, people want me to write copy and sell ads and do that kind of stuff. I would say that I went through my turbulent 20s as most people do, trying to figure out my thing, find the job that was a good fit and the the way that I wanted to make my living and make a difference in the world and all that. And it was a sales job that I had where I was listening to audio cassettes and CDs in my car on a daily basis to just keep my motivation up that I heard Mark Victor Hansen say, who was a fairly well-known motivational speaker years ago, Mark said that public speaking is one of the most noble professions because you can travel the world, you get to change people's lives, and you get paid pretty handsomely to do so. And I was like, that's the trifecta. I want all three of those things. How do I do this? And it was at that point at about the age of 27 or 28 that I realized that that was my passion. That was my calling. And I set about pursuing mastery of speaking, the speaking business, delivery of content, creation of content. And from that point forward, I think that was a cornerstone, a foundational piece of everything I've done since then was the whole idea of public speaking and creating content. So I'm fascinated by this because, well, first of all, most people listening probably are not interested in speaking on all these stages, but for the few that are, how do you go from, you know, you're selling direct mail advertising, radio advertising, how do you go from a profession like that and say, I'm going to go and speak on these stages. Where do you start? Do you start at local gatherings? And I assume that early on, you maybe didn't get paid for those speaking gigs. How do you then get to the point where you are now? I consider myself very, very fortunate in that I was introduced to someone who worked for a division of monster.com. If you both remember the job search company and monster had a sister program called making it count. And so I was a making it count speaker. So they did pay me 
Uh, at the beginning, I was getting, in all honesty, I think it was like 150 or $200 in engagement. And they would send you out hey, to these random bad. schools. Yeah. And so I was speaking on high school and college campuses, having a decent time, but realizing there was more. And I kept going back to the company saying, don't just hire me as a contractor, like send me out. How do I, how do I get booked five, six, eight times a, a week? And they said, oh, what you're talking about is being an area manager. And so I, I applied, I auditioned, if you will. And they granted me the area manager position in Denver, Colorado. And so over the course of about a year and a half, I bet I presented to just shy of 200,000 young people. And so it was just day after day, sometimes two a day, doing programs at high schools and colleges all around the country. And I realized that if I could keep the attention of 14-year-olds who are probably the most apathetic human beings on the face of the earth, and I have one living here at home with me, so I know of which I speak, if I could keep their attention, like I could go do large audiences of adults and probably keep their attention with something, you know, fun and energizing, energetic. And I could see so, them filing in now, you know, single uh, file into the into the gymnasium, getting onto the bleachers and being like, who's this guy? He's gonna give us this talk. What did you speak about in those uh, days, by the way? You're giving me like <laughs> you're giving me cold shivers because this is exactly what it was. The first couple of times I was like, oh my God, they're rolling their eyes. They're going to throw gum at me. I was back in junior high again, them picking on me. The message was how to make high school count, which is probably one of the most eye roll type programs out there. But it was really about, hey, make your high school career count because that 3.5 or 4.0 can mean free college down the road or getting into programs that you may not otherwise get. So it was really about for, for like freshmen and sophomores, take this seriously. The first two years determine the success you're going to have in the last two. And then we did a program called Making College Count, which was a lot more fun because there is a marked difference in adulthood from a 14-year-old to an 18 or 19-year-old that's now on a college campus, wide-eyed going, how do I do this well? And so I love that message and that market because the college students, particularly at the time, I think they saw me as like an older brother or a cousin. Now I go to colleges and they're like, I wish my dad were more like you. And I, it just pains me. But part of the reason I don't do that as much anymore. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you started speaking on these stages. You're getting yep. paid. You got to the area manager position. I'm curious yep. then, how did the whole financial literacy and yes. financial coaching piece come into play? Yes. Such a good connect the dots question because I graduated from college. I was a debt statistic in my turbulent 20s, trying to figure out money, married my college sweetheart, who basically told me at one point, get rid of your debt or I'm going to get rid of you. And I- She meant business. <laughs> she meant business. And we were raised in different households where that was just not a component of their lives where it was in my house. So for two years, we lived on one income. We lived on hers and mine went to blast away all of our debt. And we got rid of student loans, car loans, credit cards, consumer debt. And all we had was a mortgage by the time we were 26. And at that point in time, I was two years away from having my wake-up call of what I wanted to go do. And I kept thinking, why are they not teaching this? Why didn't we learn this in college? It's not that hard to live this way and to create financial freedom for yourself. So if it's not out there, maybe I should create it. And that was an idea at the time. And then I started doing making account. And the questions that we were getting from students weren't around, well, what questions should I ask my teacher if I'm sitting in the front row? They were saying things like, my grandmother gave me $2,000. What should I do with it? And I'm hearing a lot about credit score. What should I know about my credit score? And it was there that it just like, solidified for me that what was truly needed was a money program 
in that environment that was fun and exciting and consumable for a college audience. And that's what I set about building. And so I bet for 12 to 18 months, I was mulling over what should this program be? And I was crafting the idea of how do you win the money game, this game that we all play with money? What are the rules and how do you play by the rules? And that ended up being the first book called Winning the Money Game. And the program called The Money Game that ended up getting delivered on like 750 college campuses. Wow. Julie and I talk about this all the time, how kids just naturally, intuitively, instinctively have this sense around money and finances and entrepreneurship. And yeah. unfortunately, this a lot of the school systems kind of beat that out of them. Totally. But still, it's interesting to hear that those were, even though that wasn't the topic you were speaking on, those were the kinds of questions that you would get. And it's making yeah. me think of, I want you to tell the story just real quick, because I love this story. Tell the story about when you had your kids play Monopoly with real money. Well, thank you for teeing this up because it's one of my favorite stories to tell. The premise of this really was I had been on hundreds and hundreds of college campuses at this point, and I was seeing student debt load numbers go through the roof. You know, in like 2014, I think it was at 1.3 trillion, 1.4 trillion. We're pushing 1.8, 1.9 trillion now in student loans. And it occurred to me that the reason that they were getting that far in debt was most of the students I talked to were not making any of their own financial decisions. Their parents were still footing the bill and paying bills and making their decisions for them. And I had it that if we were going to raise financially savvy children, that they needed to be well-versed in money. And that involved the handling of money, the making decisions around money. And it all kind of came to a head one Saturday, I was watching my kids play Monopoly and they were just playing outside the rules. They were buying each other out of jail and loaning each other money to buy properties. And I was like, guys, this is why this takes eight hours. This is not how this game is played. And they're like, oh, dad, it's fine. We just want her on the board with us. And at that point, it became really clear that it was all about rolling the dice and moving the pieces. It wasn't about the tangible, tactical money lessons that could be learned from Monopoly. Granted, the goal is to bankrupt everyone, which some people may say is a little harsh. But I thought, okay, I wonder if they would play differently if the money were real. Because now it's just slips of paper. And, and if either of you have seen the new version of Monopoly, it's a debit card. You don't even use money. You just put, put a card in a reader and it adds money to your account. And so I went to my credit union that weekend and I said, I need all these denominations of bills like you'd find on a Monopoly board. And I need them in cash out of my home equity line of credit. And all the tellers are standing around the window going, what are you going to do with this money? And you've got to tell us what you're doing with this. And so I said, oh, don't worry. I'm going to the casino and I'll be back in a few hours. Then I told them I'm playing Monopoly and here's the whole story. And so the long story short is that all three kids, number one, $1,500 is what they got in starter capital. It was the most amount of money they'd ever held in their little hands at one point in time. And they'd never seen, let alone thought about what $10,000 would look like sitting on the kitchen table. And so for them, there was a little bit of a wake-up call that I wanted, which was, hey, this is what it's like to play with real money. And number two, $10,000 should not be an unobtainable number for people. And I think that's the biggest aha or learning lesson for me in all of this is when I did that TED talk and it went viral and people commented on YouTube, the number of people that said things like, oh, it must be nice to be part of the 1%. And I'm going, you have no concept of what 1% is if you think $10,000 is a lot of money. So it was a blast. My kids are forever changed for having played that game. 
And I would encourage other families that you know think about it or want to do it to do it because it's very eye-opening. Did they get to keep the money at the end of the game or how did you deal with that? This is a funny question, Julie, because people are always like, did they keep it? My son, my middle child, oldest son won $6,800 that game. But the reality was in my little experiment, the winner got 40 bucks. Okay. (laughs) So he got 40. The next person in line got 20 and then the third got 10 bucks. So there was a little bit of an experiment. Definitely was not winner take all. Yeah. Yeah. Did they know that ahead of time that the winner was only going to get $40, not their actual winnings? It's funny. They asked the same question. Do we get to keep what we win? And I was like, you're out of your mind. And I think my wife actually said, no way. Are you kidding? Get to keep this. Yeah. That's so awesome. I love that. We play Monopoly often here. We also play the cash flow game, the kids version of Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow game. And I'm going to have to try to throw that into the mix, throw some real dollars, feel that green between your fingers and see if the decisions are changed, right? Makes a huge difference. At least in our kids, they became more conservative. They were recount, they were counting and recounting and recounting, trying to make sure they could stay on the board and continue in the game. So... Yeah, I love it. So I know that Annie had mentioned something earlier and I have no idea what it is, but I'm very curious. What is the shred method? What does that mean? Oh, I'm I so glad you it asked. Something to do with like shredding, getting rid of the debt, but I don't know. I could be wrong about this. What it's, Tell us what that is. It's my abs program. Let me, yeah. let me break these out for you. <laughs> I didn't want to make any assumptions because you look amazing, but- Well, you know. thank you. Thank you. For 66, it's amazing how good I look, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. So- but I hope to look this way at 66, just FYI. (laughs) The shred method is, this is a method of cash flow through your household that I discovered in 2010. I didn't really know what I'd found until 2012 when my wife and I really doubled down and said, we're going to use this, we're going to leverage this and really figure out how to build wealth using this method. And to put this very, very bluntly, plainly, it basically uses a line of credit as a checking account. And in a very simplistic way, what we're doing in essence is getting the max efficiency out of our income by deploying a little bit at a time from that line of credit days before we get paid and sometimes even more than what we get paid. So we're leveraging a little bit all the time against compound or amortized debts. And the end result is this. If you were to buy a $300,000 home today, and you can still do that in Iowa, by the way, I don't know that you can do it where you both are. But you could still buy a $300,000 home at 7.5% interest. That home would likely end up costing you somewhere in the neighborhood of $750,000 to $800,000 if you financed for 30 years and just dutifully made minimum payments. Most people are only going to be in their home for five years, five to six years, and then they move on. But when they do, and you both know this being investors, most people, if they're living in their primary residence and they leave in five years or six years, unless there's been massive appreciation, don't have a ton of equity just from the payments that they've made. It's typically on the appreciation. And we started questioning, if we're going to be here for a while, what would it look like if we were to knock out our debt in record time and then leverage the equity in our home to really build real wealth? And so we did from 2012 to late 2015. And I think we started in February of 2012. We paid off a $250,000 mortgage by August of 2015. So it was a little under three years, I guess, three and a half years, maybe. But we saved about $180,000 in the process by doing that. And from that point forward, then we had control of our money. 
We had control of the equity in our home. It allowed us to do a cash out refinance at one point and go into syndications, which you both obviously know immense amounts about. And then the money that we were making from that allowed us to live free. And this is what we teach people how to do is how to change the way that you consider and look at your cash flow to make your income the most efficient it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. So you're saying buy the home and then try to pay it off within a short period of time. Could we also say that a good strategy might be to not buy a house until you have the ability to buy it in all cash? What do you think about that strategy? There's so many people out there today, Julie, that I think they're in a rental situation and they're maybe lamenting, oh gosh, I really want to buy a place and I'm going to get priced out of the market and all of that. I think you're 100% correct. We could make the case that people could wait until they're liquid enough to then go buy the house that they want. And that being said, this model, whether it's pay the house completely off or just create enough liquidity using the home that you can then deploy that into other assets like cash flow producing real estate, as an example, or we do a lot of like intellectual property plays. And there's so many alternative investments out there today. Yeah, The challenge for most people, and I would love to get your both of your take on this, there's so much out there today that requires a 50 or 100,000 or more investment. And I would say the vast majority of consumers don't have that lying around. There isn't an income problem. There's a liquidity problem for most people. The liquidity is the challenge. Using the shred method will begin to free up some of that liquidity that would allow you then to get into the kind of investments that your good egg provides. We'll get back to our conversation with Adam in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat 
with Adam Carroll. Yeah, it's interesting. The liquidity is issue is a big thing that I think prevents a lot of people from doing the types of investments that we do at Good Egg, especially when our minimum on our last deal was seventy-five or a hundred thousand dollars just to yep. play. Right? There's plenty of nowadays. It's interesting. Six years ago, when we first got into the space. This whole idea of like crowdfunding and buying properties together with other people was like, this is a scam. Like somebody leading this thing, the GP's leading this thing and going to go take all the money. And now there's all kinds of places that folks can go. So if anyone's listening and you're like, wow, I fall into that category, there's tons of different places now. And also other syndicators now who are opening up what they call the Reg CF, which is the regulation crowdfunding, which allows syndicators to be able to take in smaller investments of even down to like a thousand bucks or something. It's pretty low the threshold. And it's funny because I've had a conversation just this last week with a woman who's in her fifties and she's like, what do I do? Because I want to start to grow my wealth, but I can't invest a large chunk of money. And even if you can take a small amount of money and put it to work in these type of crowdfunding vehicles and grow at a faster rate than you might otherwise do in like the stock market or in worse vehicles, a savings account, which people don't even know. They have no idea, you know, and that's where people go. So there are other vehicles out there, but This is super interesting. Typically, I'll be honest, I have been a little bit against, I've had investors come to me and they say, oh, I want to take out a loan on my house. So talk to that really briefly for somebody, because I'm always afraid to, I'm not never advising people as I'm not a financial advisor, but if someone comes to me and they're an investor and they say, well, I'm thinking about taking out $200,000 from my house on a HELOC to be able to invest. I've always been like, no, don't do that. That's so, that scares me as the operator because God forbid, if anything goes wrong on the investment, it's a very scary proposition, right? And my view has always been, you play with money that you can afford to lose. So can you speak to that, to somebody who might have those fears and might have those concerns that, that maybe that is a concern? What do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah. This is a really sensitive topic for me too, because our clients will often come to us and say, there's this great investment and I've come so far on the shred method. We're going to go deploy X amount into this thing. And we'll often say, well, first of all, let's run through all of your due diligence. What have you done to really vet this thing? And what are the returns? What are the, if it is a syndication, what are the syndicators and the partners look like? My fear today in doing a strategy like that, Julie, is the rising interest rate environment. And most HELOCs are not fixed, they're variable. So Mm -hmm. even as it stands now, we have a number of shredders who started out at 1.9 or 3.5% home equity line of credit, which is just stupid cheap money for a line. And now it's upwards of 7.5, 8, could be 10 before Mm -hmm. long. So there is always a concern for me that someone would get way beyond their skis on leverage And then the interest rate goes sky high. And now the cash flow they're making on that deal doesn't cover their debt service. Right. So we are very, very cautious with folks about giving them instruction on how to do this well and at what time Mm -hmm. in the process. Because candidly, our goal is to help people lean their life down somewhat. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is the shred method first goes after car loans and credit cards and any other debts you may have that have a pretty significant monthly payment. Mm-hmm. And once you knock those down using shred, if the only thing you have left is your mortgage, 
and there's extra income, discretionary income flowing, most people would just tuck that away in a savings account and go, oh, that's just for later. And that's my opportunity fund or what have you. And what we would say is, what if you took a piece of that or maybe all of it and we leverage it through shred and we go after your mortgage hardcore for Mm -hmm. 12 months or 18 months, then let's recast your mortgage. So if let's say we blast away two or $300,000 a year mortgage in a period of time, and then we recast it, bringing your payment, which was once riffing on numbers, but 4,000 down to 2,500. Yeah. You've just freed up $1,500 a month in discretionary money. In addition to the maybe three or four you already had. And now we have the ability to start looking ahead to some of these syndication deals, knowing that, yeah, let's leverage a bit on that, but you've got plenty of cash flow to knock that line of credit back down to down from a hundred grand to 20 or 30 where it makes sense. So I would say short answer to your question is there is a timing aspect Mm -hmm. and I would really encourage someone that's going to do that. Have a chat with someone who knows how to structure debt and equity in a way where the numbers make sense. And I would say no matter what, but if in the next year we have a financial collapse, what does this look like for you? Let's plan out worst case, best case, and mid case scenarios. Yeah, no, I love that. That's something that we do on the deals that we're buying too, is we look at best case, worst case scenarios. And I think that's great advice is really understanding the full picture, not just the potential benefits, but understanding like, look, if the markets turn, interest rates go up and what's the worst case look like so that you can go in with eyes wide open, I guess is what it is. So making sure that you're working with someone who's familiar with how to do this is advisable. You guys all go out and call Adam. If you're thinking about doing this, go out and give him a call, especially for people who live in areas like where Annie and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, where over the last five years, equity is wild, right? I used to get so many folks calling me and no one says that you have to take out all the equity, right? That's available. Right. right. right? So that's another thing is even if you went in and let's say you've got 700,000 in equity, which there's a lot of people who have that in the Bay Area. It's pretty impressive over the last five years. And maybe you go in and you start small and you only take a small fraction of that. No one says you have to do the whole thing. And maybe you just do a hundred or $200,000 to be able to do the shred method and see if you can make it work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add that the shred method for us is really step one in what we call a 10-year freedom plan. I remember first meeting Annie and Annie, I don't know if you remember me saying this to you, but I said, this is the missing piece. What you two do is the missing piece to what I've been trying to build, which is the shred method frees up equity. Mm-hmm. What is sometimes called infinite banking or high cash value, high equity cash value life insurance to me is the second step mm-hmm. because it's this parking lot where you can build a bank of money and then leverage, deploy it. You're borrowing it out, but you're deploying it, making good returns on it, but you don't owe anything necessarily payment wise. You'll owe interest at some point, but you don't need payments on that necessarily. It creates more flexibility with the money that you do have and the equity you have and protects some of the downside. If something should happen to you, as an example, if you're the insured, your family's well taken care of with the policy and the loans are all paid off. So for us, the 10-year freedom plan is shred infinite banking or high equity cash value policies, and then investing and specifically doing syndication investing. Because for me, I know where I make my money. It's going and speaking and doing programs. Mm -hmm. I don't want to manage real estate. You two are head and shoulders a thousand percent better at it than (laughs) 99.9% of the people out there. So why would we take that on when you both are so good at it? 
Yeah, no, I love that. It's such an interesting thing. Same person I had a conversation with this week was introduced to life insurance policies and was asking, is this the right thing to do? And I said, it is, but you have to be very careful about how you structure it and what type of policy you're setting up. I think she was talking with someone about universal life insurance, which is much different than whole life insurance policies, as we all know, is the infinite banking is a tool you use for infinite banking, which is part of the equation. And the equation you just laid out is one very similar to what Annie and I do as well. So, but we've got tons of episodes now, I think a good handful on infinite banking. So if anyone's listening, you're like, I never heard of infinite banking, go back and search the life and money show for the term infinite banking. And you'll find a couple episodes that we did there that really lays out in detail what that strategy is. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is a great time to be talking about this. There's, I believe, a lot of equity that's in people's homes right now that people could tap to be able to make investments. So love that strategy. All right. We're going to move into the last part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. What is one thing that you are doing right now to live a meaningful and an intentional life by design? Oh boy, this question hits home for me because the title of my last book was called The Build a Bigger Life Manifesto. And I wrote it in 2019. And then I realized, ooh, manifesto may be a little strong in 2020, just based on what's happening. So for me to build an intentional life around money, one of the things that I will tell people and I perceive myself to be is a life architect and that we all get to architect and design whatever kind of life we want. So for me, I love doing what I do. The fact that I'm in my home studio and I get to do this with the both of you, I get to invest all around the country with great people. But the one thing that I do more than anything is I love traveling with my family and we have some really epic trips planned. So in 2019, we spent a month in Europe and it was this bucket list thing of, man, wouldn't it be great to slow travel and live like an Italian for an extended period of time? And then we did it. And I went, well, that wasn't that hard. We should do this every other year. We should be doing this every year. Let's do it twice a year. And so it's figuring out how do we build and design a life that allows us to get away for an extended period of time. And this summer, we're going to spend a little over two weeks back in Italy touring. And then the last two weeks of the month in Hawaii. And the goal is just to relax and like have a mid-year unwind. Some people might call it a mini retirement. But for me, it's just like, I love slowing down, letting my brain catch up or my heart maybe catch up with my brain and then getting a sense of what is the next year going to be. So for me, it's slow travel. It's being with family, being very intentional about that aspect of my life. Yeah. I love it. I heard on a podcast once that the way that things are going to evolve in terms of like education and work is like the traditional model is like you work 30 years and then you retire, right? The new model is going to be that like you don't just specialize in one thing, but over the course of your life, you maybe have four or five different things that you specialize in and you go through these cycles, like they refer to it as where you educate yourself, you immerse yourself, you do the thing, and then you take a break for like a year or two or whatever. And then you get into a new thing, you immerse, you take a break for it. So instead of having like one long cycle in one lifetime, you end up having like four or five or more or less of these cycles where you educate and you immerse and you try, and then you take a reti- a mini retirement as you refer to it every year, right? I love that. Um, yeah. And I thought it was so fascinating. I can totally see that evolving into like, you see college enrollment has dropped for a third year 
in a row. Stuff is big business. And I think people are starting to realize that maybe that's not the way to go. Right. But so I think you see people educating themselves, trying it out, vacationing for a year, and then just rinsing and repeating. So I love that. And by the way, what island are you going to go to? We are going to Maui because it's my parents' anniversary. They selected Maui. I love them all. I mean, I would go to any. Will you recommend one here? Well, I'm in Oahu and I will be here. So if I was going to say, if you guys make it out here, we should definitely try to meet up. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Maui is awesome too. If you need some tips, we were there in January and did the whole whale watching and all the fun stuff Oh, cool! there is to do out there. But anyway, such a great reminder for everyone that's listening that we all have the ability to architect, as you say, our lives as we want it to be. And so maybe think about something that you want to include in your life and see how you can make it happen. I know Annie and I certainly have done this and Adam, you're doing it too. And you know, it's wild how much your life can change and perspectives change once you Mm. start to make some intentional decisions about the way you want to live your life. So I love that. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that would make an impact in others' lives right now? Well, I'm going to go back a little bit to the beginning of the show today where we talked about kids and money. For those that do have children or are planning to have children at some point, the USDA claims that To raise a child from zero to 18 will cost anywhere from $285,000 to $450,000, zero to 18. And if you have three kids, that's $1.2 million or more, right? That's enough to get in on a couple of syndications with the both of you. So just eating (laughs) up my cash. (laughs) So when we played Monopoly with the kids and we realized sort of the error in our ways, so to speak, of how we were raising them around money and began changing how we talked to them about money and giving an allowance, but it was based on chores, but then putting all the decision-making onus on them. It literally changed how they functioned. And then as a byproduct, it changed the way that we functioned because on a weekend, it wasn't like, dad, can I get 20 bucks? Dad, can I go? I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to go to a game. They would say, I'm going to the game. And we'd say, well, do you have money? And they'd say, yeah. Yeah, I'm set. I have my wallet with me. And it wasn't like, do you have money? I'm going to give it to you. It's have you taken your money because you're going to need it. And what's interesting is we gave them an allowance for a period of about four years, maybe five years. My 14-year-old son still claims that he was shorted because his sister got way more than he did. But it came to a point where they had thousands of dollars in the bank and they didn't need an allowance. They needed to understand how to get to that point to then make the decision around money. And now they're working part-time and they're entrepreneurial and they're applying for scholarships like it's their job. And they're doing all the things that a savvy money-oriented person would do. It just took us as parents like pushing some of those lessons down to them for them to pick up and run with it. And I would say out there, the hack that I would propose is to your listeners, if you have children, trust that they have the skill and know-how to make good money decisions, but you have to then push the money decisions down to them and trust them. And they'll fail and it's okay. They're going to fail in 20 and $50 increments not in 5,000 and 10,000 and $50,000 increments when they're in college. Yeah. 100% can't agree with you more. Let your children make the money mistakes now while they're 9 and 10 versus making those money mistakes when they're 21 and 25 and still trying to figure it out because they never were given an opportunity to make those mistakes. I always tell my kids, mistakes are good things. Like Let's 
get more of the mistakes. Let's get them out because the more mistakes we make, the more we live, the faster we learn, right? And yeah, giving kids, I think you touched on this earlier, is like you want to give your kids control over their money at a young age so they learn how to, that was the whole monopoly thing, right? So that they learn how to make their decisions on their own. And I love what you said about like when you leave the house, my kids are the same thing. We all use green light. And I'm like, you guys know we're going to go to the store and you're going to see stuff you want to buy. Make sure you have your wallets. And even my son who's seven goes and grabs his wallet because he's got his savings and his money, the whole thing. So again, it's like this idea of like getting our kids to have control and ownership over their finances, over the $50 or whatever amount it is and learn how to make moves with that, I think is such good advice. So I love that. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? This one like hits me in the feels because part of the reason the shred method exists is to create freedom for people. And it is the driving force and the motive for me every day when I wake up is I can't imagine having to live a life where you don't love what you do. You feel stuck in it. And there's a lot of people out there that I'm sure in jobs where there's like, I just, I'd love to get out, but I have no idea how. And this, they pay me too well to ever leave that whole notion, which I find completely absurd. So for me, the mark that I want to leave on the world, the change, the difference I want to have in the world is I want to help people free themselves to be themselves. And when I say that, what I mean is free yourself from the debt bondage and servitude that you're in that you think is keeping you stuck where you are to then open up to all the possibilities that are there for someone like you. I mean, I'm saying you, the listeners, because we should never limit where we want to go or what we want to do, the experiences we want to have because we have a car payment or a student loan payment, or we have those things. Let's figure out how to knock that out. So that drag isn't there anymore. And we can literally show up the way we were supposed to be. Free yourself to be yourself. Be yourself to be. It's a t-shirt, isn't that. it? Yeah. yeah, that's so good. And if everybody, if every single person could just do that for themselves, never mind changing the world, but just focus on themselves, right. free yourself to be yourself, that's going to be what changes the world. And so Julie and I are such big fans of the work that you do. And it's always so great to hear about your progress. I know that our listeners are going to want to learn more about the shred method. We've just hit the tip of the iceberg here. So tell everybody if they did want to follow up with you and learn more, what's the best place that they can go? Yeah. The best place to go is theshredmethod.com. And Annie, what we have is a evergreen masterclass. So you can go through and watch in about 24 minutes. How does this work? Will it work for you? Who are, you know, what we would call our avatar, who the prime customer or client is. And there's articles, there's all sorts of educational content there on theshredmethod.com, including, and this is really important, a calculator that you can plug in your numbers and it'll tell you not only how fast you could be out of debt, but how much you'll save in interest over the long run. And it's I popping. I mean, we have clients right now that will save five, six, $700,000 in interest. And much of it, I would say 40 or 50% of it is in the first 12 to 18 months. So when you think about the difference that this can make in someone's life, what would it look like if you had 500 extra thousand dollars over the course of 10 or 15 years that then goes into the kind of investments that you all do? Staggering. It's mind boggling what can be accomplished. 
Yeah. And that kind of money not only changes your life in this lifetime, but it creates that generational wealth for your children and your children's children. And those lessons that you learn through the shred method, then you pass down to your children and that's the legacy that you can leave. So Adam, thank you so much for being here with us. Adam Carroll, best-selling author, podcaster, curator of masteryofmoney.com and founder of The Shred Method. Adam, thank you so much for all all your wisdom and insights here with us today. Annie and Julie, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 